Hi, this is Olivia Berkman, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. The topic of sexual harassment in the workplace and toxic office cultures has perhaps never received more media attention than today, and organizations are facing increasing pressure to inform and protect their employees. We spoke with Dr. Stephanie Johnson, Associate Professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, about why employees often don't come forward and the steps executives can take to address the issue. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can we start off with maybe a little background um, from you? Uh, sure. So my name is Stephanie Johnson. I'm a professor of management at the University of Colorado uh, Boulder, and um, I study gender bias and the intersection between bias and leadership. And so I've become interested in this issue of sexual harassment because it seems to be a driver that is keeping women out of masculine industries. Great. So with harassment claims getting a great deal more attention in the media these days, would you suggest leaders be proactive um, and discuss the issue with staff? Yeah, definitely. I feel like one of the biggest problems that we're seeing is that people are clearly not willing to come forward about harassment as it's happening. Um, we might That might be changing now in these high-profile cases, but if you consider that these cases went on with no one stepping forward, there's obviously many, many more um, cases like this where people don't step forward. So people need to feel safe to be able to share the experiences that they're having at work. And I think one way to do that is for leadership to really make a strong commitment that this is not going to be accepted or tolerated in their organization. Right. And and tell me more about what really prevents employees from coming forward. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of guilt and shame around um, being sexually harassed. Yeah. So I... In the even in the Harvey Weinstein case, there were doubters for sure, right? Who questioned the women themselves and placed guilt on their shoulders. I just think of uh, Donna Karen's comments um, about look at what these women are wearing, and they kind of asked for it. And I I think that's a big fear that women have because everyone is going to work, especially in an industry like Hollywood, and they're trying to look attractive. And then if someone's actually harassed you, I think there's a feeling of like, well, did I ask for this in some way? Like I was trying to look attractive. Sure. Um, and so I think there's some guilt. And then just the fear that people are going to question you in the role that you played. Like, were you flirting? Was that skirt short? Um, and some of the literature more on sexual assault, they call the second victimization because you've been victimized. Someone has assaulted you um, or harassed you. And then now you're re-victimized because you have to relive the experience with people who are doubting whether it happened, whether you're being honest and kind of the role that you played. So I feel like that shame and guilt is a huge reason. Uh, a second thing that I've really noticed is with the when cases are really prevalent, there's a lot of sexual harassment going on. So say you work at Fox News or something, right. uh, you start to believe that this is the norm. It's expected and it's accepted. And so why would you step forward, right? It's happening to so many people and no one else is stepping forward. There must be a reason not to step forward. So it just takes a tremendous amount of courage in that case to step forward. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of, 
third most obvious reason is people know that there's a huge risk for your career. So clearly with the Hollywood cases, I mean, I think Harvey Weinstein, it sounds like allegedly was pretty over about um, his power to hurt these women's careers. Um, But I think in other cases, people also have that fear because do you want to be the individual who left your organization because you filed a sexual harassment claim like that? I think there's a fear that could follow you and future people may not want to hire you because they might think you'll file sexual harassment claims again. Um, And sometimes it just doesn't seem worth it. Like people may love their job and not want to leave the organization because they were victimized. That doesn't, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. Right. And what are some of the mechanisms that employees are using to raise their concerns around sexual harassment today? And and do you think that they're effective? All right. Um, so I would, I'll tell you the reasons, but I'll tell you the, or the um, methods, but they're clearly not effective because if we look at the number of women who report being sexually harassed or like even the Me Too movement, it seems like it's, you know, upward of 95% of women have experienced some type of harassment. If you look at EEOC claims for sexual harassment, there, and there was a lot and they're increasing actually, but it nowhere parallels the number of women who've been harassed. So it's not whatever we're doing isn't working, but most organizations will have a formal reporting system. Um, like you have, you go to their, your direct supervisor, unless your direct supervisor is the person harassing you. And then you go to HR um, some organizations will have tip lines or like you can call in or anonymously report harassment. Um, I don't know. I just don't know that people are doing it because that's an awkward conversation to have with your boss or the HR person. And it's like, well, what outcome are you hoping for? Is it to get this individual fired, you know, or do you get transferred? So whatever we're doing is, it's just like not working. Right. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit to the leader's perspective. Um, so if you're an HR executive or perhaps you're somebody who the HR executive reports to, um, I know you talk a lot about unconscious bias and I want to know, uh, you know, kind of what that means and then how it can affect those of us who are in leadership positions. Sure. So how does unconscious bias affect leaders' response to harassment? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I think some of this is the unconscious bias element is that leaders aren't seeing what's very obviously in front of them, or they're also not doing enough to stop it. Um, I don't want to keep going back to the Weinstein case, but it sounds like many people in Hollywood knew about this. So the idea that the other leaders at the Weinstein company didn't know is a little tough to swallow because so many people, you know, seem to have known this was going on. And so the unconscious bias for them is just that this sort of behavior is okay or it's, you know, accepted in that organization. And I think the underlying bias is that really women are seen as less than men um, and as more of a sexual object than a real part of the organization and a a true contributor. Right. I think if we could change that, that would eliminate the whole problem. 
and I know we're not necessarily talking about diversity uh, today, but unconscious bias can definitely play a major role in the hiring process. Is that accurate? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, you know, we're not solely interested in the female perspective um, from this, and uh, but the accounting and finance fields do tend to be male dominated, and women can feel marginalized, um, as you just said. So, what are the steps, um, some concrete examples, maybe that executives can take in those predominantly male environments to promote openness and to create an environment for their employees in which they don't fear retaliation? or shame if they do come forward? Uh, Yeah, that is a great question. So, I mean, I think some of this is a bigger issue around why these fields are so male-dominated. And, you know, I would really argue that um, in the accounting and finance fields, they're missing out on a lot of potential earnings and revenue by not having more women in the organizations. And if they were to hire more women in, um, particularly in the tops of organizations, it might mitigate this problem in the first place because we see the greatest levels of sexual harassment really occur in the most male-dominated industries. So um, that could help. (laughs) A second thing is we see most sexual harassment in organizations that have an uncivil culture to begin with. So it's not just that men are harassing women and of course women can harass men and men can harass men and women can harass women but um, in a sexual nature I think there's also just a general instability that occurs in some cultures and it's actually in those cultures that we tend to see more sexual harassment because it's already a culture where treating people badly you know not treating people with basic human respect is accepted so then it's not a far step to go into sexual harassment but if you can improve organizational cultures and make them less competitive or some people call it like a toxic masculinity uh, in the culture that you'd actually get less harassment if you just had overall greater inclusion and a more positive environment and in fact everyone men and women uh, perform better in those types of cultures where it's just a more positive inclusive Culture. No one likes to get beat up at work all day. Right. Um, but if everyone's beating each other up, it's you feel like to be the alpha male, you also need to beat people up, right? You can't just be the person who's the punching bag. But we do know that you can do interventions to improve that and change things and make sure that your core values of the company really don't reflect an environment where beating people up is okay. Because we also see that that is contagious to how employees are treating customers, right? The sad thing about incivility is if someone's uncivil uncivil to you, you will be uncivil to other people. Right. And if you are in a leadership position, you suspect that your company has one of those toxic cultures, is the right move to bring in an expert? I mean, how do you you even address, you know, a, a toxic culture? Yeah, so there's definitely, you can hire a consulting firm to come in and do a culture survey, but I feel like this, you know, most people know that this is the case. Um, you can look at your your own, you know, most companies do engagement surveys and stuff like that and probably see evidence of it, but I think it definitely makes sense to bring in an expert just to shake things up. It's, you know, if a leader, I think a leader could accomplish this on his or her own and say, you know, I'm going to make a change on my team. We're not going to tolerate this. 
Oh, and I've seen that in some tech companies where they also tend to have that highly male-dominated culture, and they're just saying, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, but, I, I, you know, I do think there's something to be said for the gravitas of bringing in an external group to say, let's we're really going to put money and effort behind changing this. And they may be able to uncover information that the leader couldn't get him or herself. So, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense as a, as a suggestion. Right. But it clearly starts with just having an awareness of what your company culture is like for, you know, minority groups or, you know, women or whoever it may be to really have a a, a realistic understanding. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, you know, I hear a lot that managers and, you know, top level leadership will often lose touch with how employees are feeling because they're so focused on the bigger issues like strategy and stuff like that. But um, I think if you, if people are seeing this issue and taking it seriously right now is a, a really good time to move forward and take a step on this issue because it is on the forefront of everyone's mind. It's not like this is going to come out of left field in any company right now. I feel like everyone's thinking about it and talking about it and just the, uh, strong focus on this in the media, I think, provides a really easy open door to talk about it and ask people, you know, is this something that people in our team and our family and our organization are experiencing? And maybe because it's been so public, it might be almost okay for people to, for the people who've experienced it to come forward now and say, yeah, you know, this is, this could be a problem here. Whereas, you know, six months ago or pre-Roger Isles, maybe people wouldn't have been willing to admit it, but because of this, like, you know, feeling like you're going to be questioned, but now when you see all women are experiencing this, um, women might be more willing to step up and say, yeah, me too. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, Dr. Johnson, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to help us understand this topic. For sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your work in this area.